turn again this morning, if you will, to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. Matthew 13 contains uh, the parables that Jesus taught concerning his kingdom. The first parable that we looked at uh, for two weeks seemed to support Murphy's law that says nothing is as easy as it looks. For that parable, we learned that parables don't just make the truth easier to understand. Jesus used them to intentionally obscure the truth. But Murphy has other laws as well, and the parable before us this morning uh, seems to support a different so-called Murphy's law. Specifically, it supports that famous adage that says, everything takes longer than you thought. I love these things because they're so like life. Let's read our text and see if we don't agree. That's what this is about. We have a split text this morning, Matthew 13, verse 24 to 30, Jesus speaks the parable, and then verses 36 to 43, he uh, explains it. So we'll take that both sections, Matthew 13, 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat and bring it into the barn. Down to verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house and his disciples came and said to him, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin, and all who do evil... They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. It's the reading of God's word. There are two great truths in this parable. The first is this. We must tolerate fake Christians. We must tolerate fake Christians. Christians. You're probably familiar with the term knockoffs. Those are inexpensive goods often made in China or some such place, made to imitate, to look just exactly like some designer purse or some kind of designer clothes or, frankly, any other kind of thing that, is, uh, that will gain money. There's no end to these cheap imitations called knockoffs. Now, as this parable makes clear, they're also Christian knockoffs, counterfeits in Christ's kingdom. And unfortunately, we must tolerate these fake Christians. At first, the parable sounds a lot like the parable of the sower. There's a sower, there's seeds to be planted, there are crops growing. 
But in reality, this parable is quite different. The sower is not us, but the sower is the son of man, the Lord Jesus. The seed is not the word that's sown, the gospel of the kingdom. The seed is the sons of the kingdom. And the soil in which they are sown is not the hearts of people. The soil is the church which is in the world. At the same time, there's a second sower, the evil one. He too sows his sons. He plants them right alongside the sons of God's kingdom. So that when the crop begins to appear, it's hard to distinguish which is genuine wheat and which is a weed. Here Jesus uses a very real and very well-known illustration. There's actually a weed called bearded darnel, which in its early growth is virtually indistinguishable from wheat. In fact, to this day, it's called cheat, not wheat. But even back in the laws of the Roman Empire, it was illegal to plant this weed in your neighbor's field. It was a terrible act of revenge. Once planted, this weed had to be left alone to grow side by side with the wheat. Because you could not easily separate them. To try to tear up the one would be to destroy the good crop. But as they grew, the wheat came to look more and more like wheat. And the darnel came to look more and more like a weed. And then at harvest time, they can be painstakingly separated. But until then, the farmer just had to tolerate the infested field. In the same way, the Lord Jesus is saying we must tolerate fake Christians. That's not what the Jews expected. They were anticipating the Messiah's coming, and they thought that when the Messiah came, it would be a day of judgment. Their enemies would be instantly defeated, and they would rule with the Messiah in glory like the prophets had prophesied. Or certainly John the Baptist's expectations. He uh, listened to how he preached to people before, uh, before Jesus appeared. He, he said, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who will, is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gather, flesh, threshing floor gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's what John the Baptist expected. That's what he preached. Judgment's coming. A new day's coming. And then Jesus came. But he didn't bring judgment. Instead, he went around extending mercy to the most undeserving sinners in the whole town. So as John sat in prison, about to be killed by those he thought the Messiah would destroy, he's suddenly filled with doubts. And he sends this question to the Lord Jesus. Are you the one that was to come? Are we looking for someone else? What was Jesus' reply? He said, be patient. Don't lose heart. The kingdom of God has already begun because the king is here, but you do not yet see it all finalized. For there is to be a time of great grace 
extended to sinners before the day of judgment and glory come. Meanwhile, the kingdom will seem to be a mixture of genuine and counterfeit. And we too have to endure that mixture of counterfeit fake Christians along with the mature, true people of God. Now, in one sense, this is an easy truth. Text is very simple. Everyone has probably already learned there are hypocrites in the church. Even the world knows there's hypocrites in the church. That's why they don't come, because there's a bunch of hypocrites there, not to mention that they are too. But at the same time, this truth is very controversial. It poses a very difficult problem. The controversy focuses on verse 38, where Jesus says, the field is the world. The field is the world. A generation or so ago, the Anglican scholar Richard Trench suggested that these were the, those words, the field is the world, were the second most controversial words in the whole Bible. Just so you know, he went on to say that the most controversial words in the Bible was the statement of Jesus regarding the Lord's Supper when he said, this is my body. That's had a lot of war going on about that. So let's think about this controversy a minute. The controversial question is this. Is Jesus telling us to expect a mixture of authentic and counterfeit within the church? Or is it a mixture of the false and true in the world while the church labors to remain pure? But at first glance, it seems to mean that Jesus is talking about in the world. I mean, that's what he says. The field is the world. And certainly many Bible passages call for the church, call the church to purity. Um, we are a holy people. We're set apart from the Lord. In fact, 1 Corinthians 5 actively calls the church to purify itself by casting out the unrepentant man who's living openly in immorality. So certainly the church, purity matters to the church. But after more careful study, it seems that Jesus is actually talking about fake Christians in the church. St. Augustine thought that the phrase in the field, the field is the world, was just shorthand for the field is the church throughout the whole world. Indeed, if Jesus were really saying that the wicked and the righteous both live in the world, that's hardly something new. It's been that way since Cain and Abel. Now, Jesus is teaching something unexpected about his kingdom. Everyone thought that the old world was full of wickedness, and when Messiah came, that would all be judged and removed, and the world would be filled with righteousness. Now, Jesus seems to be saying that the coming of the kingdom would be plagued by counterfeits in its ranks until he returns again. And sure enough, when we look on down through the text in verse 41, when the king sends his angels to weed out the wicked, where does he find them? And I quote, the angels will read, weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Jesus is not just warning us 
that our little gathering of pure born again Christians will have to live in the evil world. He's teaching that we will have to tolerate counterfeits even within the kingdom community. Why is there even controversy about this? What difference does it make? Well, let me suggest a few reasons why it matters. History is littered. Church history is littered with schism and dis division within the church. As those concerned for purity have perceived weeds growing and have started pulling them up. In fact, sometimes people have divided and withdrawn from those in error until there was no one left but you and me. And I'm not so sure about you. But Jesus calls the church to unity while preparing us for the fact that sometimes we will have to tolerate phonies in our midst. The truth is you cannot separate from those who are counterfeit, from those phonies, from those hypocrites. You cannot separate enough to be rid of them. Because when you've separated from every single person who's impure, you've still got yourself impure. The Lord knows how quickly we get distracted in the pursuit of a pure church. Now, the Bible certainly teaches that we're accountable in his church. But churches waste a lot of time looking for a heretic behind every tree, trying to root out every erring brother who's hiding under the bed somewhere. But when you read the New Testament, it does not seem to share this zeal for rooting out and, 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 and uh, disciplining every, uh, every one that's a, a, a counterfeit or everyone who's a hypocrite. Paul says, it is necessary that controversies arise in the church so that the truth can come out. John says, when he's talking about something as terrible as the spirit of Antichrist, he says simply, yeah, we thought they were one of us until they left, and then we realized they weren't. Doesn't seem he went chasing down the road to find them so you could bring them back and kick them out. And when some opposed Timothy, the apostle Paul said, Timothy, gently instruct them in hope that they will come to their senses and escape Satan's snare. What do you do with the erring brother who's caught in Satan's snare? Well, we got to kick him out. No, Paul says, gently instruct him in hopes that he will come to his senses and God will deliver him. That sounds a lot like tolerating with great grace fake Christians within our church. You see, this is a day of grace. We have good news to proclaim. So don't get caught up in judging things before the time. And that's what you must do if you're going to be on a crusade for an absolutely pure church. But some of those people you want to condemn and cast out, God wants to save. Martin Luther, who was no timid reformer, 
who was not one unconcerned about what the Bible might say. Martin Luther has some very pointed comments about this text. Let me read a little bit of Martin Luther. He says, this passage teaches how we should conduct ourselves toward those heretics and false teachers. We are not to uproot nor destroy them. Here he says, publicly, let both grow together. We are dealing with God's word here. For in this matter, he who errs today may find the truth tomorrow. Who knows when the word of God may touch his heart. But if he be burned at the stake or otherwise destroyed, it is thereby assured he will never find the truth. And thus the word of God is snatched from him. And he must be lost. Who otherwise might be saved. Hence the Lord says here that the wheat also will be uprooted if we weed out the tares. That is something awful in the eyes of God and never to be justified, says Martin Luther. You see, you and I are not God, and this is not Judgment Day. Jesus calls us to tolerate counterfeits in our midst for now. But, the, but that's not the end of the matter, for there's a second point here. And the second point is simply this. God will remove the fakes. God will remove the fakes. Well, it seems almost every day we hear uh, of another counterfeit person betraying the public trust. We hear teachers in unseeming relationships. We hear police officers using their authority for self-promotion. We, we hear clergymen abusing those who look to them for help. We hear of public officials corrupting the system to benefit themselves. We, we hear of moms and dads doing exactly the opposite of what they teach their kids to do. And when we hear such things, we long for the day when such things will stop. Well, in our text this morning, Jesus guarantees that we will not be asked to tolerate the intolerable forever. God will remove the fakes from his kingdom. Judgment day is coming. Here Jesus actually points out several things about judgment. I have four of them. I don't have to list four, but just to tell you. First, he says judgment belongs to him. One of the great problems with our desire to bring justice is that we have such a bad track record. In human courts, the rich and the powerful often go free, while the weak and the poor pay dearly. But on the last day, things will not be so. The Lord, the judge of the earth, who always does what is right, the Lord, the Son, will send forth his angels to weed out the wicked, and on that day, absolute justice will be served as God himself removes the fakes. Second thing we observe here is that judgment is a terrifying event. We're actually told very few details in the Bible about what condemnation looks like, what the wicked will face, but what we are told is terrifying. This passage speaks of the fire of judgment in verse 42. They will throw them, that is the wicked, 
into the fiery furnace. But there are also other kinds of agony described. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible portrays judgment in many ways, but they're all terrifying. Hebrews warns, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And by the way, he says that. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says that to the church. To those who are fakes in the church. So I call you to run to Jesus today be, to be saved from God's wrath. For God will remove the phonies when judgment day comes. And it won't be pretty. Don't be one of them. Third observation here is that for, right, for the righteous, judgment day will be glorious. In the midst of all his suffering, his imprisonment, his persecution, the apostle Paul did not fear dying or facing God's judgment. On the contrary, he said, this present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that's coming. Well, that's what verse 43 says. Then the righteous will shine like the sun. On that day, God removes the pretender. Those who are genuinely in Christ will be glorified with him. Judgment day will be glorious. Be a wonderful day for God's people. And finally, Jesus teaches us that the purpose for the delay of judgment is that people might be saved. In verse 29, why did the farmer forbid his servants from pulling up the weeds? Because he was concerned not to lose any of the wheat. So God is concerned not to lose even the weakest of his true children. So he delays his coming in judgment. So the wheat and the tares might have time to grow and show what they really are, wheat or tares. The apostle Peter says it even more clearly. He says, the Lord is not slow concerning his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. For on judgment day, there will be no more patience. There will be no more repentance God will remove the hypocrites from his kingdom forever. Everything takes longer than you thought. Nowhere is that more true than in regard to the kingdom of God. What the apostles thought was going to happen tomorrow, it's 2,000 years later and we still wait. People had such simple expectations concerning the Messiah's coming. It would mean instant judgment and an instant new world. But Jesus explained that his kingdom is much more mysterious and complex than that. On the one hand, the kingdom has already come, for the king has come. But at the same time, the judgment and the glory are not yet revealed until the king comes again. So where does that leave us? It leaves us tolerating fakes within his kingdom as it advances throughout the world. And it also leaves us living in hope, knowing that God will not tolerate wickedness forever, but will remove it. And on that day, we who trust in the Savior will be glorified with him. Amen. Let's pray.
Oh, Father, this is a hard text. It's hard to know how to apply what it says to us. But Lord, we hate it when we find counterfeits inside the church. And often we have to deal with them. And we're tempted to think that somehow we can bring about instant purity in the church. And then we find that we can't even bring about instant purity in ourselves, Lord. Help us to listen to what you have to say to us here. And then, Lord, we live in a day where judgment is uh, like Mother Goose Tales. It's back there somewhere. We heard it years ago, but it doesn't mean a thing to us anymore. And yet when we hear what you have to say, we realize that judgment is a fearsome thing. And it's absolutely certain. So, Lord, give us a tolerant attitude toward the week today. But, Lord, give us an unwavering conviction that judgment's coming and it matters whether we know you or not. Take this truth and apply it to our hearts as you see fit, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. If you find your bulletin, there's an affirmation of faith in there.